So what do you think of when you hear the words, once upon a time? Right? I mean, you think of a fairy tale, right? Once, a ton of, once upon a time, blah, 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 story, 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 and everyone lived happily ever after. Twelve years ago, Disney Pixar, the most prolific producer of fairy tale movies, announced that they were no longer going to make fairy tale movies. They were going to be closing the book, so to speak, on fairy tales. And why? Well, the chief of the studio at the time said that all movies and films and genres run their course. In other words, what he was saying was this, fairy tales have run their course. They've, they've had their time. Now it's time for us to move on to the next thing, whatever the next thing might be. It was a very interesting move by Disney, and the reality is they backed it up uh, because over the coming weeks after that announcement, they canceled two of their biggest fairy tale movies that were already in development. One of those fairy tale movies was Hans Christian Andersen's The Snow Queen. Now, ironically, three years after that announcement, there was a movie that Disney released called Frozen with a queen that freezes things. Sounds a little bit like the Snow Queen. And since that movie, Frozen, went on to become the highest grossing animated film by Disney, making over $1 billion, I'm thinking the fairy tale genre is not over yet. Undoubtedly, Disney figured out, yeah, we think we'll keep making some of those movies. I think we love fairy tales because they're the one thing that we always know at the end everything's going to come together, right? There's going to be this, this happy ending at the end of the fairy tale. But what if happily ever after actually began at the beginning and in the middle and at the end of some of the hardest moments in life? What if happily ever after actually existed no matter what is happening in your life? Sounds like something that at least we should look into. And we will. We continue our series this morning, This, This, where we are going all the way back to the events of Bethlehem and, and trying to look and see for why those events matter in your life right now. Not just at, at Christmas time, not just as a holiday, but the truths of what happened in Bethlehem, why they matter in your life right now. And our message today is this love, and we'll be looking at Dr. Luke's gospel in chapter 2. You know, the old Christmas carol that the choir just sang a moment ago says what? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Why do the angels sing about Jesus? And why should we join in their song? And what does their song have to do with happily ever after for you? Well, let's see if we can find out. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verses 1 through 3. Luke writes, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all the people were on their way to register for the census, each to his own city. 
This is not a fairy tale. This is not historical fiction. This is Luke beginning the story of Jesus with facts, actual historical facts. The world had been in a sense of violent chaos ever since Julius Caesar had been killed. Eventually, down the line, his grandnephew Octavian took over, and immediately he gave himself the name Caesar Augustus, which means holy and revered one. And during his reign, he brought to Rome as its first emperor peace, stability, and lots of money. So this is a good thing for the people. All they knew was war and violence. They had experienced war and violence and strife. They had been crushed under the load for so long that this peace, this stability, this fantastic economy, yes, give me more, give me more, give me more. And they started looking at Octavian as the savior, that the one who is, who is rescuing the whole nation. And at best, he was a military or political savior, but he was not an eternal savior. There may be a president or a king or a queen or a candidate or a governor or a senator or a representative or a pastor or an elder or a deacon that can be super, super helpful. But if you're looking for a plan doomed to failure, set up a man or woman as a savior. Look to any man or any woman as a savior and you will guarantee have a plan that will fail. There's only one savior. There's only one full, final, ultimate savior. And that savior was born in a manger in Bethlehem. And we proclaim that not as a fairy tale, but as truth and historical fact. And we also boldly and graciously proclaim the other facts involved with that baby in that manger. Because see, that baby grew up. That baby was arrested on trumped-up charges. That baby was innocent, but he became sentenced to death. And he was crucified for the sins of the entire world. And then he was placed in a grave, in a tomb. And three days later, he came back from the dead. And he never died again. He is alive right now. And he is returning again so that the wonders of his love can be received forever to those who have received him. So, have you received the baby in the manger? Have you received Jesus? Have you heard the truth about Jesus and you are compelled to believe that you have no ultimate hope in this world or in the world to come apart from that baby in the manger. These are the truths, the facts of what we have been given. And that baby in that manger, his name is Jesus. He's known as Emmanuel, God with us. He's known as the Prince of Peace. And he, and he alone, is the only eternal Savior. Octavian, at best, was a temporary Savior. But oh, the people loved it. Oh, they loved it. Things had been so hard. They, they were all about this new political leader that was making everything happen for them. They loved their new savior in Octavian. 
Someone once asked the question, when you look back on the world now, who is it that is more well-known, Caesar Augustus or the Son of God? Jesus or Octavian? Just think about it simply in a quiz right now. How many of you learned more about Octavian in this sermon than you ever heard before you got here today? Yeah. And how many of you before this sermon knew some things about Jesus? I think when it comes to that question, it's, it's really a, a, a no, no confusion there. Jesus kind of wins that question. He's the most well-known of the two. He is not a temporary savior for two years or four years or, or four decades. He is the eternal savior, Emmanuel, God with us. Luke also notes Quirinius, the governor of Syria. He wasn't the governor of Never Never Land. He wasn't the governor of Endor. He wasn't the governor of Musulvania. He was the governor of Syria, an, an actual real place on the map. So what Luke's doing is he's given us real people. He's given us real moments, real leaders, real historical facts. And what is God doing in the middle of all of these real historical facts? Listen to verse 4. Now Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was pregnant. It's about 100 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, about the same distance from where we are right now to Charleston, South Carolina. Now, my wife has been pregnant four times, and I'm pretty sure that as she got close to the end of her pregnancy, she would not have wanted to take a 100-mile trip to fill out a census form. But that's exactly what's happening with Mary. Mary is at the end of her pregnancy, and she is on this long journey. And this is not just any old pregnant woman, right? This is Mary. Mary is actually carrying the son of of God and she is a virgin who is pregnant the normal ways that a baby shows up in the womb did not happen in Mary's life this is a supernatural pregnancy and everybody was cool with that back in the day right no not at all in their own community in their own family among their own friends they would have been despised rejected and ridiculed and how do we explain this supernatural pregnancy in scientific terms well we we don't <laughs> hence the definition of supernatural you know there there's no explanation with quantum physics or biology to describe the virgin birth however as christians our peace our joy our hope our very salvation is completely wrapped up in believing in this supernatural birth. The late TV personality Larry King was once asked, if you could interview anybody in history, who would you interview? And he said it would have to be Jesus. And I said, okay, if you could ask Jesus one question, what would you ask him? He said, I would have to ask him if he really was born of a virgin, if the, if the virgin birth was real, because if that's real, it would define history for me. 
Defining history is is true. Jesus being born of a virgin in the way that the Bible describes this virgin birth means that there is absolutely no one like Jesus, never has been, never will be. The virgin birth is, is not a fairy tale. It's not just this thing. It is the definition behind what we believe about our salvation because of what God did through this virgin birth. But what if it's all a sham? What, what if it's a scam? What if, what if it really didn't happen? Well, if the virgin birth is not truth, if Mary's supernatural pregnancy is not true, then it means the Bible is not true. Because the Bible says that Jesus would be born of a virgin, that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. And if Jesus was not born of Mary through virgin birth, then that means that people who follow God are still waiting for a virgin birth because that was the prophecy. And if Jesus was not born to Mary by virgin birth, then bless her heart, Mary was a bold-faced liar. She lied to Joseph, she lied to her family, she lied to her friends, and boy, she just kept the lie alive. But it doesn't take long to just kind of simply consider the the basic facts around the birth of Jesus to realize that to deny, to, to take the virgin birth of Mary and just dispel it as a fairy tale, that requires a great deal of religious faith. That's right. It requires a great deal of religious faith to dismiss the basic, rational, practical facts around the birth of Jesus and his mother Mary. Now, there are some religions out there that have virgin births mixed into some of their origin stories, but but there's nothing to corroborate the stories. For instance, and although this is not really a, a religion, but I do not actually believe that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. I, I don't believe it, you know? It's just, I don't believe it. I don't buy it, you know? But you know why? Because... It's not true. <laughs> you know, it may be true within the genre, right? But it's just part of a very well-crafted universe that was created by George Lucas. It's a story that cannot really be corroborated. It doesn't have these moments of history. I think that's exactly why Luke writes the way he writes. He's writing about actual people. He's writing about actual places. He's he's writing about these moments in history where there was actually a census. There'd never been a census of the whole world. And Octavian says, hey, we're going to do it. And everybody did it. This is a moment in history. And what Luke's doing is he's trying to bring us all of these tangible truths so that when we hear the story that we go, oh, that can't be scientifically true. That can't be practically true. This sounds crazy. We take that story and he puts it in the middle of truth just to help us see, hey, this is not a fairy tale. I'm not writing craziness here. He was framing the truth of the story with truth. And how, did we know, how do we know that Mary was not lying? How do we know that Mary was telling the truth? Well, if Mary was lying, then that means that Jesus was not the Savior and he is not the Savior. It means that 
I'm just going to go on a limb. Most of us are intelligent people, right? I mean, I don't think we're a bunch of morons. And, and yet we are believing this story. So if Mary lied, that means the eyewitness accounts of Jesus are bunk, which, again, you have to work really hard to do that. If Mary lied, that means, as we sang a moment ago, there's been 2,000 years of extremely intelligent scientists and doctors and theologians and professors and mechanics and golf pros and teachers and stay-at-home moms and everybody else that have said, I am banking my life on this supernatural pregnancy and this supernatural birth. I'm banking my life on this baby in this manger. The virgin birth is a big deal because it points out to us that it wasn't Mary doing the work and it wasn't Joseph doing the work. This is God Almighty doing this amazing work in Bethlehem. And what he was doing was he was bringing his story and displaying it perfectly in history. Listen to the story continues, verse six and seven. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her first, I'm telling you what, you could not cue a baby crying better. That is awesome. That was fantastic. I'm so glad that is recorded. It's going to be our clip from this week. A baby. Baby, cue the baby. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. Because there was no room for them in the inn. It's been said that the Old Testament is the promise of Jesus and the New Testament is the keeping of that promises that, that anything that you see in the Old Testament is all of these promises about Jesus and the New Testament is all of these pictures and, and facts and truths about that promise being kept. So for hundreds of years, the promises were made, but how would the people know when they were going to be fulfilled. Well, there are more than 300 markers given in the Old Testament that point to the reality, the very specific truth about Jesus and who he was and how he would arrive and what he would do. So rather than look at more than 300 of them, because I know y'all want to go to lunch, we're just going to look at two, okay? So here's just two markers. The first one comes from Isaiah 7, 14, 735 years before Jesus was born. I mean, think about this. 735 years before Jesus was born, this prophecy was made. Look, I don't usually know what's going to happen seven minutes and 35 seconds from now, okay? 735 years before Jesus arrived, this prophecy was made. Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel. So one marker that people needed to be looking for is, hey, look for a baby born to a virgin, okay? That's not a hard one to scout out, okay? Look for a baby born to a virgin. Again, 735 years before Jesus was born, about the same time Isaiah was around, the prophet Micah wrote down this marker about the little town of Bethlehem. Micah 5.2, from you, Bethlehem, one will come forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His times of coming forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. 
So another marker is look for a baby born to a virgin in Bethlehem, okay? I mean, that's kind of specific, you know? That's like look for someone who was the president of the United States born in Pillion, okay? All right, this, this wasn't gonna be a hard thing for them to spot and figure out. This is Bethlehem, a town that seemed insignificant and yet was amazingly significant. Look for a baby born to a virgin in Bethlehem. That's just two markers. There's more than 300 of those. All of them specifically came true. And just the two markers we looked at, we see perfectly in Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. So again, to look at the evidences that we see in Old Testament and New Testament about the story of Jesus means that to see these things and to dismiss them is somewhat irrational doesn't mean that you have to completely believe in and immediately become a Christian, but to dismiss them as a fairy tale is irrational in so many different ways. Truth of the matter is, though, even those of us who are believers, sometimes we struggle, right? Sometimes we, we struggle and we see these truths surrounding Jesus. They, they do seem a little crazy, you know, they, they seem like things that we can't explain. We, we can't talk about these things at work because nobody would believe these things. And we do struggle. That's why I love Mary and Joseph. Back in the previous chapter, we have Mary receiving this announcement about her birth. And remember some of the things that were said there? It says she was highly favored. You know, that, that God was with her. And then fast forward nine months... And it doesn't, doesn't feel the same, right? Nine months later, they can't even get a room at the hotel, right? I mean, they're getting ready to go outside in a stable where there's a bunch of animals and the baby is going to be born in a box where animals normally stick their face to eat. That doesn't sound like God's with them. That doesn't sound like she's being highly favored in that moment. It sounds like everything is going wrong. It sounds like everything that should be happening is not happening. Ever been there? Ever had that moment in life where you're looking at your marriage or things with your kids or things at work or, or things with your aging parents or things with your own health and they don't seem right? And you're thinking, hey, this, this is not how this is supposed to go, God. What, what's happening here? God, God, where are you? Why are you not working in my life right now? Why are you allowing this to happen? I mean, you have to think that Mary goes from, oh, highly favored one, to having her baby in a smelly stable, to being rejected by her family and her friends. It, it seems like everything is going wrong in her life. And yet, what do we see from Mary and Joseph? They kept believing, that they kept trusting in God. Listen, every single one of us struggle with something, okay? Every, every person in this room, every person watching online, you, we're all struggling with something, okay? We're, we're all struggling with something. Sometimes it's a daily thing, sometimes it's a, a weekly thing, but, but we all struggle with something. You know, I'll say my personal struggle is sometimes I have to watch bitterness because I give myself to people all day long. And then at the end of the day, my phone calls and my text messages and my emails are all the things that I didn't do, you know. And sometimes I have to watch my heart, you know, because I'll, I'll, I'll be on that little fence of bitterness. Gosh, 
God, I got nothing left. You may be like that too. Or maybe you're a worrier. You know, maybe, maybe you're afraid of, of everything happening with your finances or, or everything happening with your kids. Or maybe you're angry. You know, maybe you're angry at me and you're angry at the president and you're angry at your spouse and you're angry at the girl at the cash register at Target and you're, you're just angry about everything. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you really, really struggle day in and day out. Man, I'm, I'm afraid I'm, I'm going to die before Christmas. I'm afraid I'm going to get COVID. I'm afraid I'm whatever it may be. All of us, we've got something. Some of you, you know what you're struggling with? You're struggling with nothing because you're selfish and apathetic. <laughs> you know? I mean, really, like, you don't care about other people. You don't care about what's happening in the world. Man, just give you your coffee and the remote, and you are solid. You know? That's all you need. We all struggle with something. We do. Either we're oblivious to the world around us or we're obsessed with the world around us or, or something. Every single one of us, we're struggling with something. And the fight that we're in, particularly as Christians, is to keep believing this crazy story. <laughs> to, to keep believing that, that this is not a fairy tale. It's a, it's a true fight and it's a great fight. It's a fight worth fighting. And I have to believe the Bible doesn't say Mary rode on a donkey. I don't know. Maybe she rode on a donkey. Maybe she rode on a camel. Pretty good chance she might have walked too, you know? But you got to think that somewhere in that 100 miles, Mary's like, gosh, Joseph, why couldn't you have been born closer to town on the world? You know, you, you have to think somewhere on that trip, she's like, too much, God, too much. I, I, there's just too much. We all have that moment. And yet, what do we find them doing? Remember that little moment a little farther in the story? It says that Mary took in all of these things and she treasured them. Meaning that when everything felt like it was falling apart, Mary kept saying, I believe. I, I, I'm just going to keep trusting. I have so many reasons to keep trusting. Listen, this is not a fairy tale. This is the story of how you and I can be rescued from sin. This, I'm sure we've got hundreds of Hallmark movies you've watched this week, okay? But this is the greatest love story in the universe. This moment, this scene. You see, Disney wasn't far off when they said, oh, the fairy tale, it's, it's run its course. They weren't far off, and here's why. Everybody loves happily ever after, okay? Everybody loves when everything turns out the way they want it in the end. However, we have become, from the moment in the garden to today, a society that we want to make happily ever after happen on our own. Like, we want to do it. We want to make the fairy tale. Because if someone else makes the fairy tale if we're rescued by someone else then we have to wait for someone else and we have to depend on someone else and then lo and behold we're gonna have to say thank you to someone else you see the notion of the fairy tale is fine with us as long as we can be in charge as long as we can make happily ever after happen. Because if we depend on someone else to make the fairy tale happen in our life, that means we don't get to be the center of attention. 
That means we can't take a picture of us on Instagram and post it. Look at what I did. I am he. I am she. To be dependent on someone else, well, that, that changes the fairy tale. It, it, it changes the story. But please know this. There is one fairy tale you cannot write for yourself. There's one fairy tale that you can't pull off on your own. And that reality is this. You cannot save yourself from sin. It's, it's not possible. One day, every person, past, present, and future, will stand before the one true God, and they will hear one of two things. Either enter into your rest or depart from me. Which will you hear? What's the story from Bethlehem for you right now? Have you received and embraced this baby from the manger, this one born in the manger? You know why the manger's so wonderful? You know why Bethlehem's so wonderful? Because as we said a moment ago, in the manger, we see the greatest love story in the universe. God, the creator God of all of the universe, he sent his only begotten son, so that all who believe in him and keep believing in him is the way John 3.16 translates. That if we keep believing, that person will not perish, but they will have everlasting life. The manger is beautiful. The manger is amazing because of what started to happen in the manger. Jesus Christ was born to redeem people like me and you from the eternal punishment and penalty of sin. Jesus was born so that people like me and people like you could be adopted into the family of God. But please understand, we cannot be rescued and we cannot be adopted without Jesus. We cannot be rescued and we cannot be adopted unless Caesar Augustus calls a census. We cannot be rescued, we cannot be adopted unless Joseph and Mary spent the night in Bethlehem in a stable. We cannot be rescued, we cannot be adopted unless Mary gave birth, a virgin birth to the Son of God. We cannot be rescued and we cannot be adopted unless the plans that God made before the foundations of the world were carried out on that Bethlehem night. You know what makes the manger so wonderful? Anybody can come to the manger. Anyone. No matter what side of the tracks you were born on, no matter what country you're born on, no matter what is happening in your life, anyone can come to the manger. If Jesus were a fairy tale, then he would have been born in a castle, right? And nobody would ever be able to get to see him. You'd have to wait for some royal maid to come out and hold him up on the balcony. Oh, hey, there's Jesus. But no one, no one gets turned away from a, a feeding trough for animals. Anyone can come there. What makes the manger so wonderful is that anyone can come, and even beyond that, what makes the manger so wonderful is Jesus is there. So, have you truly come to the manger? Have you truly come to the manger? We had our extended family Christmas out in Lee County yesterday, and my sister said, hey, don't forget to go by the church that my mom grew up in, uh, Elliott Baptist Church. And she said they have this fantastic, you know, nativity scene. 
And, and so, you know, so I went by. It's great. It's, it's the same nativity scene that they've been putting out since my mom was a little girl. I think I'm right on this math. And the best part is baby Jesus is like California baby Jesus because he's got really blonde hair, you know? So I love that, you know, 80 years ago, 100 years ago, whoever's making the nativity scene say, hey, let's give that kid some blonde hair. I like it. But, you know, the simplicity of that nativity scene, it, it really never goes away because it really is Jesus in that manger and anyone can go to the manger. The beauty of the manger is found not just in the fact that you can go and not just in the fact that Jesus is there, but why Jesus is there. Lig Duncan puts it like this, the beauty of the manger is that it is a glorious picture of what God does for us in the gospel. Whatever it takes, he does. Whatever it costs, he pays. Who do you respect more than anybody else in your family? Parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle. There's someone that you know in your family, you're like, man, I, I've just always respected them. You know, It's usually something like this. He was... He was fair, but he was honest, you know. He was harsh, but he was loving, you know. Or, you know, she, she towed the line, but she made the best cobbler, you know, or, or whatever it may be. But there's that person that we know. And, and don't we usually sense something like this, that they were the person that whatever had to be done, they did it. Whatever cost had to be paid, they, they paid it. See, that's why when we look at the God of the universe sending Jesus into that manger, we say this is the greatest love story ever because here's the thing, we needed God and we didn't even know it. We didn't even know it, but God did. God knew we needed him. God knew we needed to be rescued. He longed to adopt us. And so he came to us. God came to us he humbled himself in Jesus anyone can come to the manger and what you find in the manger is not just Jesus but you find what God accomplished in Jesus and that is the only true ultimate eternal salvation he did whatever it cost and it cost Jesus there is a statement that is trustworthy, it's true, and it is good for your heart and your mind today because in the middle of the hard stuff, at the beginning of the hard stuff, at the end of the hard stuff, this truth always rings true. And it's this, that Jesus Christ is the only way to ever truly reach happily ever after it's not a fairy tale it's the thrill of hope the confidence of peace and a love that cannot fail you this this is Christ the king and in him this this is love